Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here today. Uh, I, I am, of course, am thrilled at what you are managing to do as a church and as a community with Coldest Nights of the Year. Uh, I love the banter between Hannah and I. Where's Hannah? Go? Oh, she's up at the top already. Uh, and, and I'm sure if you haven't been on the site and you haven't kind of followed the way we're talking, you're probably thinking, yo, Brian and Hannah must be like neck and neck at the top. Uh, we are neck and neck, but we're like at the middle of our group because there are a whole bunch of people that are just quietly getting on, getting it done. Uh, I mean, Diane Rowan's granddaughter is, is definitely playing the cuteness factor, uh, who loves that walk, and she's always involved, and she's beating the both of us. Uh, you know, so, yeah. But, yes, I am ahead of you. So, um. <laughs> of course, that may not have helped my cause, publicly saying something like that. So, you know, maybe it'll, be, maybe it'll look different next week. Uh, do we have anybody here from Norway? I'm not going to single you out to make you do anything. I'm not going to. I'm just really curious. Anybody from Norway? No. Okay, great. Because next Sunday, we are encouraging everyone to bring, you know, a, a plate of your people, a dish of your nation, a, a, an exposure to, to you and your country to enjoy the multiple cultures and the diversity we have in the church. I was just worried that if somebody from Norway would bring their Sir Stroming which, if you don't know, it's a fermented pickled fish that often features on like food challenges where can you keep this down sort of thing. Uh, and so I was kind of, you know, the, the smell of fish and, and all of that. Uh, what I really want to encourage you for next week, uh, yes, bring something to share. I do want to point out next Sunday is not a potluck lunch. So you are not going to get to be able to stroll along with a big old plate loading it up from everything. It's really just some snacks to share together. Uh, so please do keep that in mind. Uh, you know, bring something that's easy to share. Uh, we will enjoy that and we'll, we'll go and have some fun together. Let's continue with our sermon series this morning. Uh, I, here's a question for you. Let me start with this question. Do you like to serve people, or do you prefer to be served? Don't shout out your answer. I know it kind of seems like a, a strange question, maybe even a silly question, but, but it is a valid question. Are you one of those people who naturally serves others, or do you prefer to be served? On Friday night, Cindy and I were out at a friend's house with a group of friends, and often, as is the case, uh, the, the food is kind of put out on the coffee table in the living room, and we're all sort of sitting around the room. Uh, and because, you know, there's, it's Vancouver and houses are small and there's lots of people, uh, it's not uncommon for people to sit on the floor and kind of just move around and chatting. And, and at one point, I, I kind of uh, really wanted some grapes, and, but I didn't want to get up. And I realized that Cindy was sitting at my feet. Uh, and so I naturally asked her if she wouldn't mind handing me some grapes, to which she did. And I should have just kept my mouth shut at that point. But I, I can't, because it dawned on me that I have a beautiful woman feeding me grapes while sitting at my feet. And so I did what any sane man would do in that position, and I asked her if she wouldn't mind peeling the grapes for me. 
Now, it is a church, so I won't tell you what she said or where she threatened to put those grapes. But it does go back to the opening question. Do we like to be served or do we serve? And I'm pretty sure most of us, maybe not all of us, but I'm pretty sure most of us prefer to be served. And we like the idea of being able to sit back and have somebody else serve my needs and my wants. Which is why I'm so thankful that God in his wisdom and in his grace, he brings into our church communities, he brings people who are naturally servants. They're wired that way. And they're a challenge to us because we see people naturally serving and, and not trying to go for a claim and award, but just merrily serving. And, and we, we kind of go like, ah, I hate that person because they make me feel bad. Do we serve or do we want to be served? If you're joining with us this morning, whether in person or online, uh, we're doing a series through the book of Romans, or sorry, chapter 12 of Romans. It's going to be a six-week series. Today is week three as we kind of journey through that, and so hopefully you'll catch up a little bit. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And yes, again, we are going to read the entire Romans chapter 12. It will also be up on the screen behind me. So this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, it might be in your Bibles, you've got the little chapter, uh, sorry, little headings throughout the chapter. And just before uh, verse four or somewhere around there, it should say humble service in the body of Christ. And that's something I want us to look at today. In fact, we've been reading through Romans 12 a couple of times. And we've still got a few more times to go through. Uh, and I know that as we read through it, there are a number of themes that kind of stand out. If you read it slowly, carefully, prayerfully, uh, you will notice a bunch of themes. But I think it soon becomes apparent as we read through it uh, that humility and unity are woven throughout the chapter. And to me, that makes sense. If I stick to the theme of being right all the time, if I want to be right with God, well, certainly I have to be humble before him. I need to be humble in seeing myself in relation to God. That I was a sinner. I was separated from God. I deserved wrath. But instead, I received grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. I'm justified, or as I said in week one, I'm declared righteous. Humility is required. If I want to be right with self, I need to see myself correctly, as I pointed out last week. I need to understand whose I am and who I am in relation to that. And the way I do that is acknowledging I'm God's child. I'm a friend of Jesus. And when I fully understand that and fully realize that, it's the humility that keeps me grounded to that truth. And so today, as we continue onwards in this journey of how to be right all the time, if I'm right with God, right with self, well, then I need to start being right with others. Now, how am I right with others? And we will soon see as we go through this passage, it is impossible to be right with others without humility and unity. And that's what I want to look at today. Unity and humility. And we'll see how that's wrapped up. So the first thought I want to look at is unity in the body. Uh, This is from verse 4 to 5 where Paul talks about one body with many parts and many members. and, And each member doesn't have the same function. But together it's one body. And just like that in Christ we form one body. Now I don't need to spend too long here. Just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Hannah did a great job from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reminding us of how we are part of a body. And just like the human body, we cannot function properly if parts are missing or if parts are hurting. And so we we have to support and carry and help. And I love this analogy that Paul uses. You know, Paul speaks of this metaphor of the physical body. And in Paul's day, they didn't have the same medical knowledge that we have. 
But as we grow in our understanding of human anatomy and the human body, this metaphor just becomes more and more powerful. Especially now that we know there are these small things within us that we can't function without. I'm always blown away by the fact that if I didn't have my little toe, I would struggle to balance. I mean, it's such a tiny thing, but it's necessary. I mentioned months ago that you would be in a world of trouble if you didn't have your spleen. I mean, we might be able to get by without certain internal organs or parts of our body, but we're, we're not functioning fully. Now, of course, you might be one of those naturally sarcastic people, uh, of which I'm not, but you might be. And you might try and declare yourself to be the appendix of the human body. And I get that. Uh, you know, the appendix is just this unnecessary little tube that ended up there, and when it gets fat and swollen, it causes all sorts of problems. But some studies suggest that there might actually be a need and a use for the appendix in the physical body. Uh, we don't fully necessarily know why, but, you know, it should be there. So even if you think of yourself as the appendix, you're still needed. And there's still a job for you to do in the body of Christ. And this is Paul's point. We are one body. If I want to be right all the time, I have to understand that I am part of a broader body. I myself am not the body. You on your own are not the body. It's only when we are together, when we're serving together, when we're helping together, when we're carrying each other's loads together, that's when we become the body. And therefore, we need to do everything in our power to seek unity, to add to the unity of the body. And of course, that's not going to be easy. Unity is not uniformity. We are all different. And we come together, and by God's grace, he brings us together. And so he gives this body, all these people with different priorities, different desires, different likes and wants. And in God's infinite wisdom, we're supposed to be together. In fact, I think that's why Jesus says to his disciples that the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Because in the world's context, it doesn't make sense to have all sorts of people together with different styles, different likes, different wants, yet able to love each other and to be united to one another. That doesn't make sense. It's only possible by the grace of God and the presence of Christ. The world will know that you are my disciples if you love for one another. But of course we have to work on it. <laughs> this is why Paul says in verse 18, as far as possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means we, we should look for ways to celebrate our incredible diversity that God creates and brings together. That's why I'm looking forward to our cultural celebration next week. Because we do, we get to celebrate the differences God has brought together. Yeah, another word we could use, or another way I could look at this idea of unity within the body, uh, is the word interdependence interdependence our world keeps trying to tell us that you are enough or if you've watched the barbie movie you're kenough 
Sorry. My daughter forced me to watch the Barbie movie and now it's stuck in my brain. But it's this idea that I don't need anyone. I'm enough on my own. I can do everything. I don't need help. I don't need anyone. I'm independent. I live my own life. I make my own decisions. I do what I want, devoid of consideration for other people. But the problem is, you can't. And unfortunately, we discover that generally when it's too late. We weren't made for that. So when we we choose selfish individualism, it always ends in pain and heartache. The reality is we're not independent. We are called to be interdependent, meaning we mutually depend on one another. Each part of the body needs every other part of the body. It's the same in church. We have to be interdependent on one another. Meaning we support one another, we help one another, we carry one another's burdens. And when we do that, that's when the body experiences health and vitality and life. If I want to be right all the time, and if I want to be right with others, I need to seek unity. So of course that leads to the question, well how? How do I actually do that? Paul answers that in the next few verses. By serving using the gifts God has given you. So if I want to be united to the body of Christ, I serve using the gifts that God has given. In fact, Paul says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And there are a number of passages within Scripture that speak about this idea of gifts being given by the Holy Spirit. We often refer to them as spiritual gifts, uh, Romans 12 being one of them. Another one is 1 Corinthians 12, there's uh, 1 Peter 4, there's references in the Gospel, in the book of Acts, and even allusions to it in the Old Testament. We're called to serve, and we are equipped to serve by the grace of God. In fact, I have a Bible at home that I was given when I was started in the ministry. It was given to me by my father. And in the opening page, my dad wrote across the opening page, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. This is the idea. You know, I know that during the 1990s in particular, it was all the rage within churches to do spiritual gift assessments to figure out how I'm wired and how I could serve. And and I I don't have any problem with that. Uh, Although one of the challenges with that list was it gave people an easy out. You know, and, and I would ask people, well, could you come help serve? You know, and they would go, no, no, my gift is leadership, not serving. Uh, you know, I was kind of like, wait a minute, don't get me wrong, I, I know scripture teaches us God gives gifts in order that we serve. Uh, but it seems to me that God equips those who get up and begin to serve. God equips humble and willing servants. The gifts are given, they're not earned. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 18, we read, Paul says, In fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
Now, there is value for doing a spiritual gift assessment. I'm not knocking them in that regard. I know that your life groups, every now and then, one or two of the life groups go through that. I think there's value in figuring out how, how might I be wired? Where might be a good place to serve? But I would encourage you, even with or without a spiritual gift assessment, get up and start serving. You will be amazed at how God equips you and how God works through you. But the only way he does that is when we begin to serve. So my challenge to you is find somewhere where you can serve. And it doesn't have to be in what might be the traditional roles in church. You know, you might kind of go, okay, well, I can't sing so, or play an instrument, so I, I can't serve on the worship team. I, 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 I'm not a big fan of children, so I can't help in Sunday school. Or I don't have the time, my age, my life stage, I can't do these weekly things. That's fine. But I guarantee you, there is a place where you can serve. If you're not done, uh, sorry, if you're not dead, you're not done. I'm hoping at some point in the future that I'm going to start saying that in church and you're just going to finish it for me. You know, I'm going to be like, if you're not dead, find a place to serve. If you want to be right with others, seek unity and serve humbly. And then finally, how do we wrap that? What do we cover that with? Paul answers this for us in verse 9 and 10. Through love. We're called to love one another. Verse 9 and 10, Paul says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Love must be sincere. What does that mean? Well, sincere simply means free of deceit, no hypocrisy or falsehood. So in a community where we are humble and where we serve one another, we serve with love that is not deceitful or for show or with hidden alternatives and motives. In practice, it means when I engage with you, I I ask how you're doing. But I don't settle for the customary pleasantries. You know, hey, how are you? Oh, no, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Great, good. On we go when really we're both dealing with hurt or struggles or trials or pains. It means I ask, how are you really doing? How can I support? What can can I do to help you? How can I pray for you? I care because I am sincere. I don't see you as a means to an end for me. I don't look to a, how can I use this person to get what I want? No. That's why Paul closes that thought off with, honor one another above yourselves. I can't show sincere love if I don't honor you above myself. And to honor someone means to show respect, to defer to, to treat with care and sensitivity, not to talk down to, not to condescend. Which again comes all the way back to being humble when interacting with others. Sincerely loving others and honoring others cannot be something that you just give lip service to. 
It's something visible and evident. And you may have noticed the little expression in the middle of that sentence, where Paul's instructions on loving sincerely and honoring one another, Paul says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So keep in mind, there's a context here. The context is humbly serving in the body. Paul is speaking to Christians about how they are to interact with each other. This means there should be no evil intentions, no evil words, no evil actions towards one another. Instead, we cling to what is good. And that is what we do. We don't mistreat. We come into fellowship openly, humbly, not with selfish, dishonest intentions, being devoted to one another. So here's my challenge to you. Just like a moment ago, I challenged you to find somewhere to serve My my challenge is, how can you practically show sincere love to somebody else this week? That's not a question. There's no question mark. I'm, I'm throwing that out at you. How can you show love and honor to someone in this fellowship, to someone in the body of Christ this coming week? I believe you can. After all, Jesus told us. Love one another. You know, as I, I close off and before we move to the communion table, I've been reading a, a, some stuff on family for a course I'm doing. And there's an author, Ken Shigematsu, uh, sorry, Ken Shigematsu, uh, and he wrote, wrote a book called God in My Everything. And he's particularly speaking about family, the, the physical family of, you know, the usual nuclear family. But I think it brings true for the church family, given that we are called the family of God. And Ken writes this. He says, in other words, what if the primary purpose of our family is to purify us into the people God wants us to become, not to have our immediate felt needs met? What if God designed family both as a community of joy and as a furnace to shrink our selfishness and draw us closer to Jesus and help us to live and love well? Which to me is a profound thought. What if my family is not simply to have my needs met and my felt needs But instead, my family is a way that God purifies and changes me and makes me more like Christ. We as the body are called the family of God. And just as a family shapes and molds us, so too the church family does that for one another. This family exists to make us like Jesus. It does not exist To meet all my needs. Unity. Service. Love. If I want to be right all the time. Which includes being right with others. I need to work for unity. I need to serve one another by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And I need to love. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we read your word to us, it is incredibly challenging for us. For we are naturally selfish. 
we naturally gravitate towards our own desires. We want what we want. But yet, God, you have brought us into community because you've made us for community. And it's in community that we are slowly shaped and made more and more like Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so, God, I thank you that you've brought each one of us together into the family of God here at White Rock Baptist Church. I thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you have brought all sorts of people with all sorts of styles and likes and dislikes and different ways of looking thing at things and different priorities. And you've brought us together. And you've told us to be one. And to be a body. And so, God, I ask, would you help us by your Holy Spirit to be united with one another? Where there is division, hurt, and pain, I pray that you would bring reconciliation. And as we unite to one another, I pray that you would help us to serve, whatever that might look like. And then as we serve, to learn to love. And we know how difficult that is going to be. Help us to love one another so that as we love one another, the world would look and want to know what is the reason for the hope, what is the reason for the joy, what is the reason for the love in this community. And they might discover Jesus Christ. For we ask this in your name. Amen.